Welcome to Becoming, where together we are becoming more than we are and who we were always meant to be. We are your hosts, Tawny Beardall and Erica Peterson. Each episode will feature different topics to enhance your growth, help you see the world differently, and discover who you really want to become. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Becoming Today. I am so glad you are here spending time with me. I hope you were able to check out last week's episode. It was awesome. We were able to interview Dr. David T. Morgan about anxiety. I seriously loved our conversation, and I found myself having so many thoughts and examples just running through my head, but I (laughs) kept stopping myself because I was so intrigued with what he had to say, and I wanted to get everything we could from his wisdom and his expertise. So afterwards, I just found myself reflecting so much on the conversation, and it left me just reflecting on my experience with anxiety in the past, and I thought it would be really helpful for me to share what I have learned personally. So again, I am not a doctor, not like David Morgan, but I do have personal experience that I I think I've said this before, but that's one of the reasons why I think we're here is to help each other when we've experienced something and we've kind of made it to the other side just to reach over and help somebody else. It was really an interesting experience for me to realize that uh, as we were talking about anxiety with Dr. Morgan, that I honestly haven't experienced these feelings or those thoughts of anxiety for years. Even with my recent divorce um, that was just so hard and devastating, I would have assumed that those feelings and thoughts would have creeped back into my habits. But it really feels so good to tell you that I didn't struggle with those feelings at all. In the past, the worry and uncertainty about my future would have totally overwhelmed me and possibly even crippled me. And don't get me wrong, there were definite moments of breakdown, distress, and just like such deep sadness. But that fear that kind of triggers anxiety really wasn't present. And that blows me away to think about it. So this just led me to want to take this opportunity to focus my thoughts for this episode on how I believe I personally overcame this struggle. And I don't share this because I want to pat myself on the back or even to claim that I found this magic framework that's going to work for everyone else because we're all just so different, but I do feel called to share what's worked for me. If only to spark a new idea in you for something that you might want to try or just giving you a new way to look at a situation. I mean, life is all about perspective, right? So I first want to say that for me personally, anxiety was never a debilitating struggle that overtook my life. But it was definitely something that kept me from experiencing life to the fullest. So, for example, as a teen, it just stopped me from trying new things, from going out for new sports or plays or choir auditions. And then as an adult, I think it stopped me from putting myself out there and it inhibited growth and just the wonderful possibilities for my future. So I have a few tips that I would really love to share that I've used over the years to learn how to retrain my brain on how to think and process different situations and thoughts. I've learned to become so extremely self-aware. I know exactly what emotion I'm feeling and I can pinpoint the thought that created it. And that has taken years to practice. But the amazing thing I want to tell you guys about our brain is 
that they have the ability to formulate around 60,000 thoughts a day. And of those, 80% of them are negative and 95% of these thoughts are repetitive. So if we repeat those negative thoughts like these statistics show, we think negative thoughts way more than we think positive thoughts. Isn't that so interesting? So you guys, if you have noticed this in yourself, the good news is there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. It's just the way your brain is working. But learning this can really help us realize that just because a thought enters our mind, that does not mean it's true. We get to decide what we accept as truth or if that thought is warranted, unkind, or not helpful to us at all. We have this great ability, and I honestly think it's a responsibility to separate those thoughts, to realize that it's our brain's job to filter those thoughts. We get to decide what we want to accept as truth and believe, or to discard and get rid of those just false garbage thoughts. A garbage thought to me is one that just doesn't serve a positive purpose. It won't help you grow and it won't help you change. It's just there to bring you down and to cause you to swirl in fear and overwhelm or self-pity. To help process this, I personally try to visualize my brain as a strainer. The thoughts are just going to pour in all day long. Like I said, 60,000 thoughts a day. We can accept these positive, loving thoughts. We can let these encouraging thoughts that will help us grow and support our learning to come right through that strainer. But we need to really filter out the thoughts that are negative, that don't serve us at all. We can just chuck those ones in the garbage. And please understand that this isn't like a one-time decision and we're good to go. This is going to be a daily practice and honestly, like an hourly or even minute to minute practice. I truly wish it was just a simple switch that we had to flip, but it's something that's going to take time and practice. But I'm going to tell you, it will be so very worth it. I've been practicing this for years and I've gotten so good at analyzing my thoughts as they come in that I don't even let them penetrate unless they're useful. It has changed everything, you guys, I promise you. Because we all know that anxiety is always triggered by a thought. And the most encouraging news is that we can learn how to control those thoughts. I've noticed that the biggest problem happens when we let these thoughts ignite a worry, which then turns into a fear. Fear controlled my decisions for years. You've got fear of failure, fear of what other people will think of you fear of safety and well-being, your fear for your loved ones and their safety and well-being. And for some reason, which I just don't understand, our brains believe that we are doing something about the situation when we worry about it. And when we spend our time and energy living in that fear, it just gives us this false sense of having some control over what's going on. And I've come to realize that this is just a misuse of our amazing and creative brain that God gave us. He blessed us with this ability to problem solve and to be able to be creative about how we handle situations. We are the creators of our own lives. If we realize that we are spending this precious brain space making up a problem that most likely will not occur, we can reason our way out of that thinking. 
So when I've coached people out of their anxious feelings in the past, I've tried to put it this way. When you hold a fear or worry about something that hasn't happened, you just end up suffering twice. You make up a story about what might happen. Wait, let me just give you an example. I think that'd be more helpful. So I have a friend who is terrified of bears. She avoids going camping at all costs. She's just so afraid about having a bear encounter. And when she thinks about it, I've been with her. She gets short on breath and she literally just starts sweating and becomes super anxious. And if she can possibly talk herself into camping with her family, she is in fear most of the time. It is so, so sad to me that we do this to ourselves. So do you see what I'm saying about her suffering twice? She's suffering just thinking about the possibility of it happening. The feelings are so intense and draining, it's almost as if she's experienced it. But then if it actually did happen, she would end up having to feel those same feelings all over again. And granted, surely it'd be more intense, but you get the point. She then would have to suffer twice for no reason. Our beautiful and creative brains are making up a story that may somehow slightly be a possibility, but most likely not. So why don't we use that creativity for the opposite to focus on how great something might be instead? She can make up a beautiful story about how much fun she's going to have and the awesome memories that they'll make as a family. And then she can just enjoy her amazing camping trip. And then if some crazy encounter with a bear does actually happen, she can deal with that when it comes. And then she will only have to experience that emotion and the stress of it happening the one time. You guys, I know this is a dramatic example, but you can see how useful it would be to logically go through this process with yourself in a moment of worry, fear, or when an irrational thought comes to your mind. Just stop the thought. It's time to change the narrative. Use your amazing brain to visualize the situation in a positive manner and then move forward. If something unfortunate happens, you'll have the ability to know how to handle it if and when it even does. But let's stop putting ourselves through these unnecessary worries and fears for the things we think might happen most likely never will. A friend recently introduced me to a book that explains this alternative way to think even better than I ever could. The book is called The Noticer and it's written by Andy Andrews. I love it so much. And I'm going to try to condense one of my favorite chapters and just share it with you here. And for a little context, there is a man named Jones, who is the noticer. He's incredible. He's so good with people, he can just see them and he sits with them right where they're at. And he helps coach them through different situations throughout the book. Jones is helping a man in this chapter named Walker, who found himself recently divorced for the second time. He's depressed, he holds grudges about the past, and he's really struggling to figure out why history keeps repeating itself, and he just can't find happiness. So Jones states that he thinks it is amazing how people will lose everything chasing nothing. When Walker finally opens up about where these feelings of not being good enough and always reaching for more comes from, he says, to a degree, I suppose I always felt like a loser because my dad was alcoholic. Well, Jones answered innocently, maybe your dad was an alcoholic because you were a loser. 
I'm sorry, that's so rude. Uh, he then laughed and held up his hands as if to fend off Walker's blows. Just kidding. Just kidding. Walker wasn't sure whether to be offended or not. Look, young man, Jones went on a little bit more seriously. Your father and all of his problems are in the past. Here he is, dead, and you're still dragging this my dad was an alcoholic thing around. It's time to stop letting history control your destiny. I know, I know, Walker said, his eyes closed now. I know this. I know I shouldn't think so much about the past. I know I shouldn't worry. I know I have nothing to be depressed about. He opened his eyes and he looked at Jones with all the frustration of 53 years boiling over. Then, trying to speak quietly, though he felt like screaming, Walker said, I really am aware. I just can't stop. These feelings have ruined my life. He paused and then in a broken whisper said, I don't know what to do. Look into my eyes, son, the old man said. Like all things that seem big, this ain't a big deal, okay? Walker nodded and Jones went on. There are two things you need to know about how you feel and one thing you need to do. The first thing you need to know is that you worry or you feel this crazy fear because you're smart. Walker's face fell. He sat back in the booth. Hang on now, the old man scolded as if he had already read Walker's mind. I'm not being condescending. I'm not trying to shine you on. This is the truth. Just a little different perspective. You are a logical young man, so sit still. You'll appreciate this. You worry, he said, because you're smart, like I said. The old man looked around as if he was keeping a secret and then nodded. The dumber folks among us don't worry much. They ain't afraid of nothing. Walker's brow furrowed in confusion. So Jones explained, here it is, young man. Smart people are generally more creative and imaginative than dumb people. You agree, right? Walker still had no idea where this old man was going, I suppose, he said. Well, that's why smart people get tripped up with worry and fear. Worry? Fear? It's just a misuse of the creative imagination that has been placed in each of us. Because we are smart and creative, we imagine all the things that could happen, that might happen, that will happen if this or that happens. See what I mean? I guess you're right, he said. Sure, I'm right, Jones replied. Smart people like you consistently misuse the creative imagination that has been placed inside of them to scream fire when there isn't even any smoke. So how do I turn that part of me off? Walker asked. It's a problem. I do worry about things that logically should not be in my head. If you know that logically these doubts and fears should not be in your head, then the easiest way to defeat them is with logic. Walker stared intently, but shook his head. I don't understand. You will, Jones replied. So those are two things you need to know. One, that you think the way you do because you're smart. And two, you have to defeat those thoughts with logic. When doubt and fear assail us, we subconsciously calculate the possibilities. This might really happen, we tell ourselves. Or what will happen if... Dot, dot, dot. He leaned in a little closer. And soon we are so paralyzed by the idea that disaster is imminent, that we cannot function in our work, and even our relationships dissolve. We have imagined our way to self-destruction, and that's what has happened to you, my friend. What you must do to defend bad logic with good is to deflect your subconscious from calculating possibilities. 
Instead, direct your mind to calculate the odds. You can learn quickly to calculate odds of an event occurring and eliminate it as even a remote possibility in your life. End quote. So in the book, he goes on to calculate the possibilities of his worries and fears happening. And this is a large chunk I cut out. But after concluding that only 8% of his worries were actually legitimate concerns versus what he can change or control, he goes on to say, but it should be noted that even these legitimate concerns are things that can actually be dealt with. Most people spend so much time fearing these things that are never going to happen or can't be controlled that they have no energy to deal with the things that they can actually handle. That's me, Walker said simply. Not anymore, Jones answered. Now tell me, what are the immediate thoughts in your mind, say, during the first 10 minutes after you wake up in the morning? Walker shrugged. You know, what I have to do. Who I have to call, the things I need to deal with first, I guess. These would be your most pressing challenges of the day? Yes, absolutely. Okay, Jones began. I'm not saying that you don't think about the things you have to do but I want you to mix in some other thoughts as well. Leave a pad and a pen beside your bed. And when you wake up, grab it and take it everywhere with you for the first 10 minutes or so of your morning. On that pad, I want you to list in your life what you're grateful for. You can list names, objects, feelings, anything. Remember to list clean sheets and a roof over your head, knowing that there are millions who spend the night without either. As you eat breakfast or skip it, remember the millions who have none. Be generous and creative as you list the many things that you have to be grateful for. Don't be shy about writing the same ones down every day and actually write them down. Thinking about this will not do the trick. Joan smiled widely, but then you actually know that. After all, it's your own imagination with which you are doing battle. You will feel differently from now on, Joan said, leaning back. Many people who worry too much say that they cannot focus, that it, that ends up costing them their jobs and their relationships. That is incorrect. A person consumed with worry can focus. Isn't it obvious? Worry is focus, but it is focused on the wrong things. Young man, Jones says to Walker, you are now equipped to calculate the odds. From this point forward, you will focus on what can be controlled and you will no longer be sad or worried. You will be grateful. After all, the seeds of depression cannot take root in a grateful heart. End quote. Oh, you guys, I just adore this book. I highly, highly suggest it. And again, it's called The Noticer by Andy Andrews. And not only does he touch this subject a little more, but there's so many other great insights he has. So back to the original topic. Um, another thing that I felt really compelled to bring up is that just because something feels scary and it gives you the butterflies, it does not mean that it's wrong and that you aren't meant to do it. The resistance that you may feel it usually spurs from a place of your safety being threatened. If we feel like doing this thing makes us feel vulnerable or at risk of judgment, or that it's going to change something important in our lives, like our relationships, then often we end up resisting that change. Yet sometimes change is necessary and will bring us so much growth and happiness. 
These feelings typically only last for a short time, and then they will ultimately result in positive feelings and further clarity. But like I've mentioned in my past, um, I had a huge fear of public speaking. I've talked about this multiple times. So I found a story from inc.com. It's about Warren Buffett, and it really, really resonated with me. It's a great example of how important it is to push through your fears because you just never know what you are meant to become. So in this article, it talks about how Warren Buffett writes an annual letter to investors and to financial experts. These people are always eagerly awaiting Buffett's letter because it's so full of wit and wisdom. But in his 53rd annual letter, he revealed that it has not always been this way. Early in his career, Buffett was terrified of public speaking, so he took specific steps to overcome this fear and anxiety. Some may argue that if he had not overcome this fear, he may have never become a successful billionaire. Buffett actually shared this with a class of business students. He said that effective public speaking raises a person's value by 50% instantly. And he realized the value of this at the young age of 21. So he took these three steps to help him gain confidence in public speaking. The first is to take small steps to improve. He actually signed up for a public speaking course, but he ended up dropping out before it even started because he was so afraid of public speaking. He ended up giving it a second try and he completed that speaking course. Then he realized that the best way to gain confidence in this way is to just keep speaking over and over in small groups. And this is actually called exposure therapy. It's one of the best techniques in treating anxiety. So Buffett practiced this exposure therapy and he eventually became familiar with the stressful situation of public speaking and that really helped him alleviate the fear. The second thing he did was to reinterpret his nerves as something positive. After you throw yourself into a situation that produces anxiety, like speaking in front of a big group, it is critical to reframe or reinterpret your nerves as a positive response to the opportunity. If you tell yourself that you can't do it, your body will produce these hormones that end up elevating your heart rate and make your palms really sweat. This is just like I talked about earlier. If you just decide to manage your thoughts more positively, you will thrive as you see it as a call to action instead. Stop stressing and start enjoying the process. When you feel those butterflies, just remember that it's a sign of great energy and it's a joy to be there and inspire the audience. Buffett also learned to reframe his thinking and he said, I couldn't do it. I knew that if I couldn't cure it then, I'd never cure it. So he really just learned how to reinterpret those thoughts. I think that's awesome. The third thing he did was to practice like it was the real thing. Practicing is key to overcoming any fear. The key is to practice under the same types of pressures that give you anxiety in the first place. Doing this will build your confidence and create a space for you to be able to eventually overcome the most common fear, which is public speaking. But you can honestly use these three steps for anything else. And again, those three steps are number one, to take small steps to improve. Number two, interpret nerves as something positive. And number three is to practice like it's the real thing.
I promise you guys, if you use these three steps in conjunction with what I tried to teach you earlier, I promise you that your life will change. Let me just end by giving you a little summary about what we talked about earlier so you can start implementing these practices this week and you can start seeing changes in your life. So the first thing I talked about was trying to use logic into helping yourself filter your brain's thoughts. You can control your thoughts. I want you to accept the good and throw the rest in the garbage before the negative even have a chance to penetrate. If you end up feeling a lack of control, just realize that your body may be using the fear to make you think that you're being productive, when in reality, anxiety is just causing you to suffer twice. Use your creative brain and imagination for good, rather than just making up stories about what might happen. I want us all to remember Jones's advice and to start a gratitude journal Realize that you have the ability to focus on what matters the most and what can be controlled. You are in control of you. I'm telling you guys, these simple steps will help you find so much more peace and happiness, even when things don't go as planned. This has helped me tremendously. I want you guys to know that I genuinely love and appreciate each one of you. I love that you're here with me. And I will do anything I can to share things that have helped me or things I'm learning. And of course, bringing in different experts and professionals to help us learn as well. I love you all very much. And just thank you. Thank you for spending your time here with me today. If you've been looking for a first phone for your teen, Gab Wireless has created a phone that looks like a smartphone, has all of the essential apps you want for a teen, and none of the stuff that you don't want. If two out of three adults show signs of phone addiction, we can't expect kids to develop healthy phone habits on their own. If you want to learn more, just click on the affiliate link in the show notes to help support the podcast and to learn more. And use the code BECOMING to get $10 off.